I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. This time... Why are so many leaders bad at their jobs? And could their sex have anything to do with it? When you ask people who wants to do something, who wants to be in charge, who wants to be successful, the people who raise their hand may or not have talent. For sure, more men than women are going to raise their hands. So instead of blaming women for not leaning in, how about we stop falling for people, usually men, who lean in when they don't have the talents to back it up? Most of us give our leaders a failing grade. Would that change if more of them were women? Coming up on The Broad Experience. A few months ago, one of my guests was Financial Times writer Polita Clark. When we spoke in our episode about women and mediocrity, she brought up a book she'd read and I'd heard about. Its title... Why do so many incompetent men become leaders and how to fix it? Tomas Chamorro Premozik is the author of that book. He's also chief talent scientist for Manpower Group, a huge staffing firm. Mostly my remit is, I think it's pretty straightforward and sensible, which is to ensure that we can apply the latest science and technology for understanding people, their strengths, their talents, their skills. And that includes also predicting whether somebody can be a good manager or a good leader. Science and technology. We'll come back to this later. But Tomas says rather than using these methods to determine who could be a promising leader, we keep falling back on old stereotypes we can detect with our own eyes and ears. People, usually men, who are bursting with confidence and charisma, who have a pretty high opinion of their talents and often turn out to be not nearly as good as they think they are. Tomas came to his current role by way of academia and clinical practice. He's a psychologist by training. And he says growing up where he did in Buenos Aires, that career choice was almost inevitable. His neighbourhood, Villa Freud, was bursting with therapists and their clients. But the reality is that, you know, when I was growing up, everyone went to the psychoanalyst or had a shrink. Even our dog at home had a psychoanalyst who was obviously treating us, not the dog. The dog looked pretty embarrassed, uh, you know, while we were describing the problems that it had. And so it was pretty natural, almost by default, I went on and studied psychology. He says he got interested in the topic of leadership early on, again, because of where he lived. Growing up in Argentina, you could see at any point in time the problems that incompetent leadership causes. 150 years ago, Argentina was the future. It was one of the richest countries in the world with a GDP higher than Germany's and France. And today it is probably the only perpetually devolving or declining nation in the world. Why? Because we keep on electing inept leaders who tend to be mostly charismatic, overconfident narcissists. 
These outward traits seduce us, or a lot of us anyway. Studies show more women than men are overconfident. And do we really need a study to tell us that? And he says that quality can easily disguise a lack of competence. Meanwhile, he says stereotypical female traits like self-awareness and emotional intelligence and empathy, they're seen as soft, not seen as leadership traits. It's a bit like when you tell people, oh, women, you're too kind and caring to be a leader. Well, first of all, uh, that's patronizing. Secondly, we need leaders who are kind and caring. Which leads me to my first question. I remember years ago reading your piece with this same title, Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders, in the Harvard Business Review. And you, you, I remember you referencing Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In, because that had just come out. Can you just talk a little bit about, now that article's become a book, what, what, like what prompted you to write that piece? Yeah. So, the, so the original idea for the article actually was my editor's. Um, you know, so I always say behind every incompetent man, there is a competent woman. Because <laughs> Sarah Green, who was my editor at the time, she now left HBR. She was also the editor for the book. Send me this link on Cheryl's new book and, you know, the beginning of the movement, if you like. And she said, what do you think about this? I said, well, you know, it doesn't make much sense to me. First of all, in the rich world today, there's no evidence that women don't want to be managers or leaders, which in a way is crazy because they should have lower levels of motivation given that they don't have the same possibilities or choices. And yet their willingness or desire to lead is as high as that you find in men. Um, secondly, it did the lean-in argument does seem to me like pointing the finger at women and telling them, you know, we need to fix you. There's something wrong with you. You are responsible for your um, inadequate levels of success. Oh, just look at me. You know, I made it just by leaning in. And that's the last part, I think, that uh, I wanted to tackle with the article and the main argument underpinning the book. So, you know, in any area of competence or talent, there has never been a correlation between people wanting to do something and people being good at something. That applies to leadership as well. When you ask people who wants to do something, who wants to be in charge, who wants to be successful, the people who raise their hand may or not have talent. The correlation is almost zero. For sure, more men than women are going to raise their hands. So the argument I made with the article and with the book is pretty straightforward. Instead of blaming women for not leaning in, how about we stop falling for people, usually men, who lean in when they don't have the talents to back it up? Talk about the what you call it the female advantage and I always feel we're getting into slightly murky waters when we begin to talk about traits uh, male and female traits but maybe you could just tell people like you make the point that on so many measures men and women are actually really similar could you just talk a little bit about why we're similar and different yeah I mean men you know men and women are similar on um, I mean, in most regards, right? So you have to first understand that um, even when we talk about personality traits that are stereotypically more feminine, things like emotional intelligence, altruism, friendliness, sensitivity, caring, self-awareness, self-criticism, humility, and integrity, each of these traits is normally distributed, so much like height. And you can imagine that if you, if you plot height uh, across gender, on average, men are taller than women. But, you know, we all know women that are taller than a lot of men and, you know, vice versa. Same applies for these traits. 
we all know men who are more uh, humble, altruistic, friendly, uh, caring, empathetic than many women. Um, but I think it is still accurate to say that these are feminine traits because on average, they are displayed more frequently by women than by men. Still, he knows not everyone will appreciate that description. Feminists don't like this argument because their view, the traditional feminist view, is that we are the same and there aren't any gender differences. And um, in essence, androgyny is the reality. It is true culturally that we are gravitating towards androgyny. So uh, if you compare chauvinistic countries like Japan and Argentina to egalitarian countries like Iceland and Sweden, you will see more androgynous displays of behavior. So fewer gender differences in the latter. But today, there are still these gender differences. And what I'm arguing is not for having more women in charge, but I'm fundamentally trying to highlight the benefits of a more feminine leadership style. Because after decades of selecting too much on hyper-masculinity and putting people in charge because they are kick-ass, aggressive, fearless, overconfident, and um, you know, quite greedy at times, there is more of a need than there ever was to have people who have altruism, integrity, humility, empathy, and caring. You know? So that's the female advantage. And uh, that's why my conclusion is that if your goal is to increase the representation of women in leadership, the best gender diversity intervention to achieve that is to focus on talent, not on gender. Focus on talent and you will not just get more women in leadership roles. You will end up with slightly more women than men in leadership roles. By the way, today, many competent men are... Uh, overlooked or ignored for leadership roles because they are more feminine than our archetypes would like to think leaders should be like. He stresses this. He's not saying that all men are terrible leaders or that all women are amazing leaders. He's saying that if only more organisations and electorates would revise what we thought of as desirable leadership traits, we'd have a lot more competent leadership everywhere. And another thing he says, the idea of leadership itself is often misunderstood. Often it focuses not on whether you're truly interested in turning a group of people into a high-performing team, but the question almost is diluted to, would you like to be successful? Because if if you want to be successful, you almost certainly have to manage people, have responsibilities and be a leader. Too many people equate being a leader with the pinnacle of individual career success. In fact, it's a, leadership is a psychological role that enables people to be part of a unit, to work together and achieve something they cannot achieve individually. Now, those of you who are leaders will know this already, but I have to admit, I hadn't thought about this that carefully. And I've sort of fallen into that trap sometimes of equating leadership with this personal goal of being at the top of the pile, rather than thinking of it as the person who's meant to inspire people and help everyone else do their job better. And of course, a lot of people with a leadership title don't do that. They have negative effects on their teams or those who follow them on their subordinates, their followers, meaning they cause low levels of engagement, job satisfaction, productivity, trust, morale, and high levels of anxiety, burnout, stress. They're the main reason why people quit, not just 
their jobs, but also their organizations. And in some instances, traditional employment altogether. Most of the people who enter self-employment or become entrepreneurs have been traumatized by their previous bosses. I'm guessing some of you are among them. The beginning of Tomas's book focuses on overconfidence and narcissism and how damaging those traits can be in a leader and how overconfident people so often overshadow more modest people with plenty of skills to do the job. And I flatter myself that I can spot an overconfident narcissist a mile off. But when I got to the chapter on the myth of charisma and how we rely on that far too much when we pick someone for a job, that's when I thought, hmm, I could be part of the problem because I am a sucker for charisma. And I wanted to know why. Why do I feel drawn to someone whose character sparkles right out of the gate? Tomas says, if you think back a few millennia to when we all lived in small groups as hunter-gatherers, we had to assess our fellow humans on physical traits like strength. Could they defeat a predator? Run away quickly? We just looked at them and drew our conclusion. Fast forward thousands of years and we're living in a world where talent is mostly abstract hard to judge like how do you know if somebody can put together a digital transformation or come up with a good innovation strategy it requires a lot of expertise it requires competence to spot competence and to spot incompetence but we're still living under this illusion that if we interact with somebody for a few minutes we can tell that's why we value charisma so much you're not necessarily a bad person when you're charismatic but if you're a bad person, charisma will make you a lot more destructive, right? I know these are extreme examples, but Stalin, Lenin, Mao, Hitler, and name your favorite dictator would have been a lot less harmful had they not been charismatic. Of course, we don't all fall for charisma all the time. He says German Chancellor Angela Merkel, re-elected multiple times. No one's going to want to make a movie about her. Mary Barra, CEO of GM... Her personality has apparently been described as vanilla. Both leaders have been uncommonly successful at their jobs. They're competent without the outward show. But he says we often make snap decisions about people's potential because basically we're lazy. We're much more efficient if we don't have to spend a lot of time working out what somebody else is like. And as humans, we need to maintain high levels of self-esteem at work and elsewhere we don't want to be wrong. So he says even if we are, we're usually loathe to admit it. If I make quick inferences about you and I arrive to the rapid conclusion that you are boring, nasty, stupid, I will then attend to any information that supports that initial inference and ignore anything that contradicts us. Why? Because I want to feel good about myself. Think about the implications of this at work. If I'm interviewing for a job and I think you're great, six months later, even if you suck at that job, I will still want to think that you're great because otherwise I look like, a, like, like an idiot, right? So, so we have a, we're, we're intellectually lazy. We want to um, make decisions on others based on split seconds. We don't want to prove ourselves wrong. So we are stubborn and love ourselves too much to admit to mistakes. And then finally, there's the ever-growing complexity of the world of talent, the world of work, where, you know, you need a science and a methodology to work out what people are good at. It's crazy to think that in a world awash with data where you can have uh, live Twitter feeds, fact-checking anything politicians say online, 
that doesn't change people's votes is whether somebody is sweaty or looks good or has a nice suit or makes a joke is more important determining whether we vote for that person or not. In America today, the number one predictor of who wins the presidential election, other than height, is would you like to have a beer with this person? So we love to live in a world where our gut feeling and our instincts drives our decisions. And we love to ignore evidence even when there is an overwhelming amount of it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When Tomas talks to CEOs and other executives, which he does pretty much every day in his job, and asks them how they tell if someone has good leadership potential? More often than not, the answer is, oh, you know, you just know, or you know it when you see it, or I know it when I see it. But he says the reality is that's far from the case for most people. So we have to have the humility and self-criticism to distrust our instincts focus on the right traits, and then use the right tools and, you know, ideally science-based tools to identify those traits. I mean, that's the solution. And the frustrating thing is that we've known that to be the case for three or four decades. But what he calls the unstructured interview, where it's really more of a conversation, it's still prevalent. And he says this type of interview is a classic way for the interviewer to fall back on old biases and end up choosing someone who's quite a bit like him or her. But I have to say, I don't like the idea of these psychometric tests. I'm one of these people, I would worry that I would misperform on a test and I wouldn't do well. And I would be more like, oh gosh, I hope they meet me. You know, I just want to, I hope I can sort of impress them with my personality. And it's interesting that I'm fearful of what the method that you say actually is far better at measuring how we are. Yeah, there's often a a negative correlation between what people like and what works, you know. And so historically, the interview has mostly been a chat. You know, I mean, we met today within the first five minutes, we established a report. I have some ideas about what you are like and vice versa. But imagine that actually that determines whether you get a job or not. And imagine that there are alternatives that in essence, follow the same approach, which is to try to find relevant signals of potentials, which means try to correlate things you do that make you different from others with performance indicators, because that's how you decide as a human whether you trust someone, whether someone is interesting, whether someone... but we can't do it at scale and we can't do it really rigorously, especially if you want a world that is more egalitarian and fairer towards minorities, uh, vulnerable populations, especially if you're saying that we should ignore things like whether somebody is 
female, unattractive, old, poor, etc. Humans are not very good at ignoring information. We can't unlearn things. He says as the digital world evolves, there will be more and better data and technology to help us determine people's potential for jobs. We just have to deploy it. Before Tomas and I ended our conversation, I wanted to get back to female leaders. I was thinking of one in particular and wondering what Tomas, her fellow countryman, thought of her leadership style. I wasn't sure she displayed many of those female traits he described earlier. So how does he rate former Argentine president Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner? She is exceptional in many ways. You know, we have, ironically, there have been a lot of female heads of state in South America, more so than in uh, more egalitarian places. But these uh, women have tended to out-male males in masculinity. You know, so she is definitely displays a lot of... Uh, antagonistic and antisocial tendencies. Uh, she is very abrasive, very overconfident and quite uh, uh, brush and reckless. And although I don't have her personality assessment, you know, it is fair to guess, to infer that there are uh, some narcissistic tendencies there. None of which he says is that surprising given her rise in a macho culture. Often you could be a biological female, but you're part of the same system and you, you rise to the top with the same rules of the game, right? A lot of the times now Theresa May is gone, but for... Uh, I was just going to get to her because yeah. she's not, many people would say, not charismatic. And I was one of the people who thought at the time, oh, phew, you know, somebody, somebody kind of boring and sensible, but it, um, she has turned out to be a not very good leader. Correct. You know, so a lot of people when it came, which I think you could have predicted, right, given where she came from and the fact that nobody wanted that job. But yeah, when the book come, came out, a lot of men were writing to me and saying, oh, there are also incompetent women who become leaders. What about Theresa May? Well, first of all, incompetent women don't rise to the top as frequently as incompetent men. And secondly, uh, even though she is probably incompetent or was incompetent, the impossible problem that she was asked to solve was caused by incompetent men or men who behaved to her an incompetent lapsus, at least for some time. He's talking about former British Prime Minister David Cameron, who ushered in a national referendum on EU membership, fully expecting voters to want to stay in the EU, whereas in fact they voted to leave it. Things, for sure, from an individual career standpoint, had been really, really good for him. And things had been pretty good for the country, to the point that even people who disliked the Tories and the Conservatives couldn't complain too much about him. Suddenly, one really bad, overconfident decision led to you know the problem that we're still trying to solve today. And sometimes people take issue with this and they don't like it because they assume that I'm taking a Remainer's point of view and people still voted for Brexit. That is true. People voted for Brexit. But from his own viewpoint or vantage point, it was a big mistake. As I release this episode, Theresa May is on her way out and her likely successor is an overconfident, charismatic, you know the rest. And I'm a British citizen, so I feel, you know, I can I can speak to this as well. Uh, think that uh, the prospects of uh, her successors are going to be not just worse, but also fully aligned with the characters that I describe in my book, right? So it's the return of the incompetent man on steroids, I think. I think the prospects of Britain's new prime minister opening Tomás's book are slim, but I do recommend it for anyone who wants a thoughtful take on what constitutes good leadership and what will lead to more of it. 
That's the broad experience for this time. Thanks to Tomas Chamorro Premazic for being my guest on this show. You know where to find me if you'd like to get in touch. You can reach me via email, on the website, or via Twitter or Facebook. I'm Ashley Miltite. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.